0: You're listening to Whoa! Hot Luck. Hot Luck. Yeah. stories now, paint the cover now. My feet are run above my planted on
1: the ground. Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and culture. I'm your host, Minji Chang. I'm an actor, producer, and entrepreneur here to share inspiring stories and to walk through everyday life with you. Hope that you guys are all doing well, staying safe, staying healthy, getting vaccinated. I just got my first shot. I am team Pfizer. That's what I was lucky enough to get. Um, And it was an emotional moment. We are still going through it, y'all. And uh, I know that there's a lot that we're navigating. So yeah, just please take care of yourselves. Please get vaccinated when you get the chance. And I hope that you get a chance ASAP. Okay? Okay. Um, I am very excited for this week's guest and topic because if you've been following along with first of all, thank you, first of all, and uh, glad to share space and hold space for others in this crazy, crazy time. We've been going through a lot of really deep topics that matter very deeply to me and talking about trauma and anti-Asian violence and our collective stress and how we're trying to manage all of this, the pandemic, the racism, um, the hate and the prolonged wonderment of like, are we ever going to be okay and out of this this moment in time? So given that, um, I was really excited to connect with my guest who I connected with on Clubhouse and we will share that story in this upcoming conversation, but she is just a bright light and somebody whose work I really admire, and I'm really excited to share with all of you guys. So my guest this week is Kyra Kim, and Kyra is a NASA postdoctoral fellow at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. No big deal. (laughs) She was born and raised in South Korea, and she moved to the U.S. in 2009 to pursue geology. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't personally know anybody who has pursued geology, I know people who've been interested in it, but not made it like the center of their studies and or their life. Okay, so Kyra is definitely one of a kind. And she received a dual bachelor's, actually, one in geology and one in music. So Kyra is a creative scientist. And oh my gosh, it's like a match made in heaven. I feel like I met, you know, a soul sister. And uh, she also studied this at the University of Texas in Austin. And that's one of my favorite cities. So, you know, it was meant to be. Her doctoral work focused on groundwater biogeochemical reactions in sandy beaches, which we all know about, right? I mean, I knew nothing about. And what I've been fascinated about Kyra's work is that she focuses on water sustainability. So when I heard her share her background and what she does in in Clubhouse, I was just like, I need to connect with this girl right away. And it's been one of these really great connections that have come out of a very interesting and chaotic app. I honestly really appreciate it, but uh, I'm really grateful for this. So Kyra's work has been very, you know, scientifically based. They she's done a lot of research. Um, she is one of few women in that space. And I'm incredibly inspired by who she is and what she's done. And I'm really excited to share that with all of you guys. Because I think, I don't know, I'm personally really drawn in by stories like this when you're the odd person out or you're doing something Extraordinary just because you're just being who you are. And this is who Kyra is. She wants to pursue science. She is doing it well. She's doing that at NASA and she's doing things to really help all of us. And in the grand scheme of things, with all of the really heavy things that have been weighing on our hearts and our minds, um, there are other things that still need our attention, like climate change, like the earth. Uh, And we all have a responsibility in that. And there's leaders like Kyra that are doing a lot of this incredibly important work that need to be shared with all of us. So I'm just doing my little part here at First of All to help share and broadcast it because I'm personally really inspired and interested in it. And I hope that you guys are too. So yeah, I hope that you enjoy this conversation and that you'll share it with a friend. And also reminder to please stick around to the end because this week's featured artist is Ruby Ibarra, who is a Filipina Rapper who I adore, and uh, you will not be disappointed and it'll be totally worth sticking through the very end to listen to her music because I'm really excited to feature her. So without further ado, here's my episode with Kyra Kim. Enjoy.
0: can't you see? Oh well, you me. you look like a farmer. but I'm a lover. You can't a book looking at the so
1: welcome to first of all, Miss Kyra. Hello. hi, thanks for having
2: me on. yeah, for sure. How are you doing today? Good. It's Friday, so can't complain too much.
1: Oh, I always find things to complain about. <laughs> I don't <know> about you. <laughs> You're probably more like a mature person no, than most. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, how have you, how have you been holding up this past year? That's been the thing that I start off a lot of podcasts just checking in. Like how has your year been and how, how have you been holding up?
2: Mm, you know, it's been really great, which is you know, I'm blessed to say. Uh, It was definitely tough being isolated and going through quarantine as with everyone else. Mm -hmm. But I think that helped me reprioritize a lot of things I was missing in life. You know, you get in the rat race and you just keep go, go, go. Yeah. Um, And then with COVID, I think I finally sat down and kind of reorganized what I needed to bring to the forefront of my life that I had maybe dropped before. Mm-hmm. um, fitness being one of them. Um, oh,
1: okay. Fitness. I'm yeah. It. Um, so yeah, it's been really great. Good. I'm so glad to hear that. That's really, there's been, you know, so many other versions of this past year, right. With all the exhaustion mm-hmm. and stuff. But I love it. I think that that, uh, reprioritizing thing is so key. Mm-hmm. It's been a very good, like byproduct, if you will. Who? But as I mentioned in, in our, hype woman intro. So I love to do it with all my guests, is like hype woman them up. You are an incredible ju- like life and journey and career that I'm so excited to talk with you about today. Um, you are a NASA postdoctoral fellow at JPL. Mm-hmm. People don't know JPL is the jet propulsion lab. So no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I took a peek at your website and stuff, but like, I, and I would love to like explain, sorry, excuse the construction. We're just going to like pretend that it's not there, but, um, I just want to like even share how I got connected with you because I heard you on clubhouse and I'd love to get your opinions on that. But before we get into that, I would love for you to like, tell us your, what's your like elevator pitch of who you are and how you are here today.
2: Yeah, sure. Before I say anything, I would like to just put out a small disclaimer that anything that I reveal here or discuss is not reflective of the official views of NASA or JPL or USRA. Um, But thank you again for having me. A really quick summary of who I am. Uh, My name is Kyra. I was born and raised in South Korea. And uh, I was born under an engineer father and an English teacher mother. So, you know, I certainly got lucky picking up the English language. Um, I came over to the States in 2009 after kind of... um, Redirection of my dreams of becoming a classical pianist. I switched um, thinking into going into lawyer um, as my dream, and then I switched again into sciences. um, And that's when I arrived in the US in 2009 for college. Uh, I did geological studies um, at the University of Texas at Austin. I have a dual degree in music, so I couldn't give up my musical (laughs) dreams. And then, yeah, and then I kind of really fell in love with the study of water. And so I got my PhD in hydrogeology, where I understood or tried to understand um, beach biogeochemical reactions, um, And that ultimately led me to look at larger scale groundwater systems um, currently here at NASA JPL. So that's kind of a very quick recap of all the convoluted um, turns I've taken in my life.
1: That's so cool. Also, this is co- toiling the groundwork for me to ideate my film on Kaira. <laughs> I think that, I don't know, I'm really personally fascinated by everyday people because I think everyday people are people like you, Kyra, like in terms of like you're a normal human being and we're leading such fascinating lives, Mm -hmm. right? And you say like it's a convoluted journey, but like life always has all these crazy twists and turns. I right? never goes the way you yeah. expected or planned. So I just, I, you know, I, I want to say you're both equally exceptional and just you're a normal human. And that's why I think it's so cool about what you're doing and, and what you are like putting out there in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and to touch on like the, the thing that brought us together, what connected us was me hearing you on clubhouse. And I think it was, was it like an Asian professionals room? Do you remember? Yeah, it was? it was the
2: Asian professionals, like introductions and storytelling room.
1: Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think you're like a few people ahead. And so I was just there to like be a fly on the wall. I think Brian or somebody invited me up on stage. So I was like nervous because I don't know about you, but Clubhouse makes me really <laughs> have a lot of anxiety, even though I host a podcast or whatever. But um, hearing you talk and like just share the uniqueness of what you do and what you focus on was amazing. and. Yeah. I was just like, I got to talk to this girl. I want (laughs) to know more about her story. And can we, maybe let's just start with clubhouse. Cause I'm so curious. Um, what's kind of this larger mission that you have with water? Like I, I might be jumping forward a lot because I just want to get to the good stuff, but like, I also want to know about your journey, but what is the, what is the thing that you were sharing in that clubhouse room? And what have you been trying to achieve with like your social media and using that as, as a platform?
2: Yeah, uh, what a loaded question to start off with.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but
2: sorry, everyone, sorry, right it's okay. Here. I think this is a great um, topic to start talking about, uh, kind of opening into you know what I do for science, what my passions are outside of just my workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, so with COVID um, and with quarantine going on, I think a lot of the things that I loved about being an academic and being a researcher, you know, part of what comes with being a scientist, all of those things were stripped away. Meaning, Mm -hmm. you know, field work or travel, conferences, you know, um, social meetings with people, Um, all of those things were gone. And I basically spent a year just at my apartment um, um, (laughs) doing quote unquote science, but a very isolating version where it's like just data analysis and coding, a lot of writing. And so I missed a lot of the social and the outreach aspect of science. And Mm -hmm. then I kind of stumbled upon Clubhouse. Immediately off the bat, I started to get connected with some amazing people. And then I realized, oh, I rem- remember that people actually need to hear this about the work that I'm doing. Oh, I remember that, you know, outreach used to be one of my favorite portions and explaining science to non-scientists. you know scientists. Um, yeah. And I think the difference was that in other outreach opportunities before, it was very targeted, right? You're invited to a high school class or you go to a kindergarten and present something or you're yeah. at a scientific conference. But with Clubhouse, you have a mix of people. So you really have to be general with your explanations um, and make it relatable to a much broader spectrum of people. And I found that really fun. Um, And because of, you know, who are the majority users right now on Clubhouse, which happens to be a lot of tech people, a lot of NFT related artists. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was a. I saw a huge potential in bringing um, relevant earth science issues to people that have a lot of financial influence, um, and I'm a big champion for innovation coming in to fix a lot of these emerging earth issues. Of course, it's a hand in hand effort with uh, other regulatory frameworks or cultural shifts that people perceive. But I also think there's a huge untapped market of entrepreneurship um, for a lot of these big emerging earth issues. Um, And so I started leveraging Clubhouse for that. Um, And then the other aspect of it is the Asian professionals community. Um, I went to school in a very small town in Delaware. And I was, uh, it was a satellite campus. So it was very far from some of these big major cities. Um, It was a, I think the population was around 2,700. And it was a retirement town. So the average age was something like 63. (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and so I remember up to maybe like my fourth or fifth year I was the resident Korean living in that small town Um, and so I was basically segregated from the Asian community and when I moved to LA that was kind of a big culture shock you know I think being South Korean I always just think of Koreans that I could use as a community to guide me but when I arrived in LA you know we have something like I think 42 Pan-Asian communities and ethnicities and nationalities, right? And I forgot, you know, or I i guess I never knew what it meant to have friends that were, you know, Vietnamese or Thai or, you know, just in, Indian. Like, they were all around, but I never knew what the community was like. Yeah. Um, and Clubhouse has been really great um, in getting me plugged in, especially in this current times um, with a lot of AAPI issues rising up. I'm getting the support that I didn't know I was missing, so I'm really glad we got connected.
1: Yeah, it's special. It's kind of there's so many things you touched on that that I I relate to really strongly, and especially that thing of you kind of a lot of things you don't know you're missing it until you find it, and it just like really kind of strikes a nerve of man, this is like feeding something really important mm-hmm. inside of me. So I'm really glad that it has given you that because I think that is one of the coolest things about Clubhouse, even though I have like a laundry list of of things that I think about it in general, but it's kind of this recognition of you can find value in, in a lot of different ways. Um And I'm so good. I have a million questions now just off of that one thing, the, this one segment of you sharing your thoughts on on why you were, you know, spearheading this, this conversation because I'll start with this, that I am just, I've accepted that I'm a total nerd and I love it. And um, I used to kind of feel growing up that it's like, it's not the coolest thing. This is just the imagery and the culture that I grew up with, right? That There's so many other ways to be cool, which is to be athletic or just be beautiful or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Being popular, X, Y, Z. But I, I've always loved school and like solving problems and doing puzzles and like, whatever, <laughs> total nerd. And uh, now I feel a lot more proud of it. But in general, in my opinion, I've seen that science and things of that nature that like we we kind of like put it on a pedestal in a way. There's a lot of respect that goes towards it, but it's not really... Popular or sexy, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the biggest issues that I see that are the most impactful in our day to day lives are very scientific or academic or just kind of in this other world that doesn't get a lot of shine because it's not as shiny to a lot of people, right? <laughs> So part of my my one of my missions in life as as being a storyteller, being a host or just being myself is that I would love for science and for things that really impact our world like climate change and like water sustainability to become sexier. So I'm just (laughs) putting that out there because this is my this is my show um, that I'm really curious about it. I'm fascinated by it. Um, I value it a lot. And I think a lot of other people do. It's just, it doesn't get a lot of um, airtime, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's awesome that you you own that, you embrace it, and that you put that at the forefront of what you, because you could talk about so many other things, right? Mm-hmm. You could talk about, right now, the Asian American identity and the Asian American experience is really relevant. It is very powerful. Um, but that's not the only facet of you and me, right? As people, we're also so many other things. And I love that you bring light to science. I love that you own that part of oh, you. Thanks. Um, and the other thing that I found really powerful, which makes me a little sad because I wish it wasn't so big of a deal, but the fact that you're a woman scientist, that you're young, female, you know, amazing scientist like that still can be a rarity. I know that it's mm. less and less, but mm-hmm. I still think it deserves its, its shine, its mm-hmm. own podcast episode, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, have you ever had that? I mean, this we can touch upon like the convoluted journey of your life, which I love. How did that go from being uh, a classical pianist, you said, which is
0: incredible. Yeah.
1: I quit when I was like nine. <laughs> um, how did you how did that journey go? Because you went from a beautiful art, and I'm glad you didn't give it up to that to being studying geological sciences. Is that what you said? yeah um how how, how? What, <laughs> how was that like yeah I think
2: um when I was I think maybe four I was watching tv with my mom and there uh-huh. was this lady with a beautiful dress on and I said oh mom I want to wear a dress like that and she said oh if you become a classical pianist like her you know then you were to you get to wear those dresses every day and, wow. you know, that's when I was like, OK, well, then I have to become a pianist. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, quite honestly, I had a lot of dreams on and off. Like at, at one time I wanted to be a president. And then at one point I wanted to go uh, be an architect. At one point I went to go be a musical director. So I had all of these different dreams. Um, but the piano part kind of materialized because I was taking lessons on and off pretty, you know, uh, for a pretty long period of time. And in middle school, I finally started to take it more seriously. I was playing a lot of um, virtual, virtuistic um, piano pieces that were really big, you know. And um, we were going to, I was going to see if I could audition for a fine arts high school
1: Uh
2: um, to, you know, be really serious about this. And a few months before the audition, I actually broke my finger. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. It was um, in a school PE class and it, you know, the, whole lesson for that semester was basketball. And it was just messy, right? Oh, um, and so I know. And at that point, I had to kind of say, Okay, well, I can't audition for this anymore. What else am I good at? And I said, Well, you know, I'm pretty good at English. Let's see if I could do something with this. Mm. Um, and so I went to a foreign language high school. Um, and I was an English major, uh, where all of the English majors are pretty, um, they're trained to go um, study abroad for college in an English speaking country. So our class plan was, you know, very conducive to taking the SATs and APs, like at the US schooling system cycle, nice. you know. Because um, also, I'm
1: sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, just because like the Korean semesters don't align right perfectly with the US mm-hmm. semester system, um, and so our school was pretty flexible in that. And I went to school with a lot of um, friends that wanted to go into the humanities, so everybody wanted to become like an ambassador or go into finance. It was very um or you know, like international relations. And so we had a lot of those um occupations that people were aspiring to go into. And I thought, okay, well, I want to go be um a human rights lawyer. Wow. And I got into a school for early admissions with international relations as my um undergraduate major. And I figured I'd just go to law school after that. And I got the four year degree plan and <laughs> None of the courses looked appealing to me. And I was like, oh, Uh this is a problem. I haven't even gone there. (laughs) Um, And I was interning for an attorney at the time because I got really lucky and got connected. And the attorney told me, well, you also told me you wanted to go into maybe environmental law. So why don't you actually go get a science degree for your undergrad? Um, Because a lot of people get like English or history degrees for undergrad and then go into law school. But if you get like a science degree, that might help you stand out um and that's when I realized you know a lot of these environmental issues are contextualized within the uh, framework of human rights um and so Mm -hmm. I was like oh this could work and so that's how I went into geological sciences um and I found out I'm actually really good at it I really like the research aspect um I have a pretty keen eye for identifying you know minerals and gem structures things like that um And we could definitely talk about, if there's time, about like the struggles, um, of being thrown into this quite honestly, physically, uh, challenging science, right? Yeah. Geological sciences requires you to go hiking. And, (laughs) um, you know, if you're collecting (laughs) rock samples, you're carrying that all day. And, um, I think, you know, we talk a lot about women in STEM and how that's difficult. And I think one of the things that is maybe not talked about as much is just the strenuous physical activity that's required for some of these things.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and especially for East Asian women. Um, so I could speak to kind of my South Korean experience, but yeah. growing up, it was that, you know, it wasn't ladylike to go sweat or go run around, you know, it was never like an encouraged behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, there's that like stereotype and although it's rapidly changing, there's that stereotype like being muscular is not feminine and being strong isn't feminine. Like this like damsel in distress, dainty kind of a thing was still pretty much the dominant feminine trait when I was growing up. Uh And then when I came over to the States, you know, these um, American girls had been like in soccer their whole life or in volleyball (laughs) their whole life. And that was so like, like, it's such a culture shock to me. And my Uh classmates were like, you know, just like really excelling at a lot of these like strenuous activities that I just never thought I would be able to do. Um, so that was like a personal um, journey as well. And then overcoming the fact that, oh, okay, so like being strong or being fit um, only adds to my experience as a woman in science, not takes away from my femininity at all. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And that's also kind of, um, why I centered my Instagram around like the different, the variety of things I get to wear as a scientist. Like sometimes it's a lab coat, like you would expect. Sometimes it's a hard hat, right? Yeah. Um, I had to actually increase in strength training to do my graduate work better. Um, but sometimes it's a high heel, sometimes it's a red lipstick, right? <laughs> so I love that multi uh, um, faceted aspect of my job and of who I am as a person. Um, so yeah, being a, that's how I kind of ended up in. Um, science and also kind of adding on, you know, how it was being a South Korean woman in geology.
1: I love it. I love all of it. And may I say that you rock all the looks because I, 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 it's funny that you mentioned that because there's a lot that I've personally been going through in my own career and in my own um, reflection on where I'm at and where I want to go. And I think all those things that you touched upon, not only like how certain careers or how the world itself has kind of been built and catered towards a certain type of person. Mm -hmm. Um, and how by, by default, by being kind of normalized that way, that it inherently blocks out a lot of other people Mm -hmm. that could be just as valuable and incredible in in their contributions. Right. It's been funny for me to see how I adapted to that. Mm. And, um, you and I can relate. You grew up in Korea and I'm so curious. I there's I had a a list of questions, but one of them was like, what was the culture shock like growing Mm, up mm. and going to school in Korea, but going to an English school, right? And then learning that so that you could adapt to like American culture. And then when you actually did, that's a huge conversation I would love for you to share more on because even that thing about athleticism Mm -hmm. and what it means to be a woman right? And what traits are you supposed, are you encouraged to adopt in order to succeed, quote unquote, mm-hmm. or to thrive is f- utterly fascinating to me. It's caused a lot of anger in my life, to be honest, like <laughs> something that I unpack on this podcast, because there's certain things that I, I just resent a lot as a, as a grown woman, right. Um, just realizing like how much I had to, in my opinion, adopt like really masculine traits, um, some that came kind of natural to me, but some that I felt that I just needed to do, mm-hmm. and I just by by default like adopted because it's you're simulating to succeed. I wanted to do well and climb a certain ladder, and so doing that, I had to be more aggressive. I had to be more whatever, right? Like mm-hmm. be. And I had people in my life like compliment me, quote unquote, because I did a lot of leadership roles of like, oh, Minji, you're the man. Like (laughs) some people called these guys that I know, they're friends. They didn't mean harm, but like they called me Manji. They're like, oh, (laughs) you're the man, Manji. And I was like, at the time I laughed about it because it was like, you know, I'm one of the boys and they're like giving me Mm -hmm. this stupid nickname. And I but like later on, I recognized how much I resented that. Like, why can't I be a woman and Mm -hmm. be a good leader? Why do I have to? you're telling me that I did well by likening me to a man, right? So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of layers there. There's a lot that um, I think we subconsciously and consciously go through Mm -hmm. in order to, to, to thrive. And I'm really happy to hear that there are these intentional moves that you and I and other people are doing to like say, hey, there's space for people of all different kinds of backgrounds and body types and athleticism or whatever to be contributing teammates because I'm sure that your unique perspective, your unique background is incredibly valuable to your team and mm-hmm. to the work that you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very curious if we can touch on the whole American culture shock part mm-hmm. because yeah. I do think that there is this very, I mean, it's very, it my, I grew up here in California, right? My mm-hmm. whole life. So I know that there's a very big, It's normal for a lot of countries, but like America first and we're the best and we're rapidly (laughs) learning how not true that is, like how untrue we're like, Oh God, America's the worst. But we grew up thinking that, right? Like, Oh, we're, we're so strong and independent. And like, these are things that I grew up, um, probably subconsciously thinking. I was curious, like, how did, how did it feel? Were you, you were in an internet, was it an international school or was it just English speaking school?
2: um it was just an English speaking
1: got it yeah, so it's still like Korean students who yeah are... and
2: we were so, we were required
1: to speak English but we always spoke Korean in God yeah <laughs> that makes sense I mean you're a teenager I'd be like okay that's for the effort but naturally I'm not speaking that. <laughs> Um. When? How old were you? So you came over for UT Austin, you said. Yeah. Or when did Delaware happen? I'm curious. That like, would what be, a place to go. Yeah. After
2: college, so starting
1: 2013. Got it. 2000. That's also an interesting time to be in America. <laughs> how? How? What was like your biggest? Like, do you remember like your biggest or your first? Like, whoa! This is yeah. where am I? Um. Let's see. There's a lot that we could
2: unpack. But in terms (laughs) of like culture shock um, and, you know, feminine versus masculine traits in the workplace, uh, quote unquote, you know. Yeah. um, If we go to like if we go back to just like body image, I'm definitely like one of the bigger girls in Korea. Like I'm taller. I have a bigger bone structure and kids made fun of that like all my life. Right. I was like bullied Mm. about them and I have facial features that are um, not traditionally associated with the Korean face. And so, you know, they made note of that. Um, and I remember in high school, there was, um, one of my guy besties, we laugh about it, but he like made a full on like, uh, novel. He wrote a novel during classes. And it was like a uh-huh. series about, and he was inspired about from my calves. Cause I had big calves. And so he wrote a full on like (laughs) fantasy novel about this warrior named Kyra who is recruited to fight for wars in the middle times. Like. And it was like, you know, one, it's humiliating. But then two, it was so well written. It was like, wow, I'm like this heroine. And this is like before Wonder Woman was released through Marvel and all of that. Right. So I was like, wow, this is actually kind of cool. What a thing to do. I know. And so we laughed about it. And then I remember when I came over to the States, one of the students that I was working with in a lab one time, she asked me, she's like, hey, are you a runner? And I was like, why? She was like, no, you just have runner's legs. And I got so offended, but she meant Mm -hmm. it as a compliment, right? Mm -hmm. She was like, your legs are super toned, but I was so offended. And that's when I kind of, and she had to explain this thing. No, it's like a compliment. It's a good thing. And that's when I kind of realized, oh, so there are different like body norms. And I think every culture and every time is going to have their own beauty standard. And that's just kind of inevitable because, you know, fashion trends come and go. Yeah. Um, But that's when I realized like, oh wow there's just like these beauty standards are really different yeah um and then in Korea like I was always darker but then here they're always like wow you're so tan like it's a positive thing that I'm like yeah. a darker Asian <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so those things were like some of those uh moments where I um understood like oh wow there is a big um I guess a cultural difference in terms of how we Perceive beauty and body image. Um, It's also kind of encouraging, right? If you don't fit in in a certain culture or in a time with your traits that you have physically and naturally, then maybe you're supposed to just be somewhere else. Which is, you know, I live in the states now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So true. Yeah, it's like some someone out there is gonna be your niche. I guess, like they're gonna find you beautiful. Everyone's beautiful in their own way, but when it comes to like physical traits, Um, and also like going back to kind of the fitness aspect, you know, like fitness and being muscular or lifting heavy was, um, a point of marvel in Korea or, but it was never like that encouraged. Um, Uh especially when I was growing up, I think things are radically changing now, which is really great. Um, but here, you know, again, like they had no, um, well, I guess I could tell you this anecdote, um, in grad school, when I was doing a lot of beach sampling, um, work for groundwater, I couldn't lift some of the gear. And mm-hmm. if you imagine, if you're out on the beach, you know, if you lift something heavy, your, your feet are sinking into the sand. And there's yeah. a lot of digging involved. Um, once you hit the water table, everything starts to collapse. So, you know, you're fighting against water and sand. <laughs> it's really messy. Yeah. Um, and some of these uh, water samples, you know, it's like a cooler full of water. So you can't really, it was really heavy to lift. Um, and so I actually hired a personal trainer for a year and started to learn how to, like, lift heavy. Um, and since then, I've been trying to incorporate that more into my life.
0: Wow. When I
2: say that story to my American professors or, you know, Western, I guess, colleagues, they're always like, wow, that's so great that you were proactive. And I remember repeating that story to um, some scholars that I met in Korea. And these are older gentlemen. And they're like, oh, well, that's a bummer. You have to go through that work. You know, like if you had gone done your schooling in Korea, you would have never had to do your own field work." Um, all the boys Mm. in the field would have helped you, which is Mm -hmm. like, it's a well meaning statement, right? Like, and I, I'm the last person to reject help from anybody. Like, if you're out in the field, like, you're gonna want help from anybody. Um, but it was just that like cultural sentiment where it's like, oh, but like, aren't you proud that I overcame my physical limitations? You know?
1: Yeah. Um,
2: so things like that, I think, um, it's just a very subtle change in language that could either be encouraging or discouraging, right? In those, um,
1: instances um and then so subtle (laughs) yeah so subtle (laughs) but that's I think that's a beauty of language is that like it's not just about the words that you're saying it's about delivery it's about tone and it's about is it Mm -hmm. suggesting a condescension or is it suggesting like sympathy those are two different sentiments right Mm -hmm. and we're always having to interpret so I, I love that you have that sensitivity built into you because of these these different yeah because
2: I think -hmm, (laughs) I I had to switch back and forth cultures and you know and I could also read that like he's older he was you know raised in that traditional um you know thought than I was and you know he also meant well he was like you know offering help um but when it comes to like that thought as well in terms of characteristics um I was always pretty outspoken in Korea uh-huh. Um, and I have gotten comments about like, oh wow, this is really refreshing. Um, and even actually the same scholars that I just mentioned, like the older Korean gentlemen, they actually commended me because I had reached out to them and said, Hey, I would like to help out, you know, as you organize these conferences. Um, these are my qualifications. This is what I'm good at, this is how I could be useful to you. I'm based in Delaware. This is our organization. I think there could be really collaborative, good collaborative efforts come about. So I approached them proactively. And that's just like unheard of um, oftentimes in these settings. And they actually pointed out, like, we've just never had someone knock on our door unless they were called upon. Um, And so, you know, these opened a lot of doors and they recognized that as leadership and being proactive and it was um, well received. And so I always thought I had that like, quote unquote, masculine trait, I guess, like traditionally perceived as masculine trait of Uh that, like leadership and being outspoken. But then in the States, I realized I still have that deep rooted Asian culture in built into me, you know, which is unsurprising.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: where I still expect the listener to figure out what I'm saying. You know, in Mm. our culture, it's almost like vulgar or crude or crass to have to explicitly ask for what you need. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, and having lived in the States for almost a decade now, a little over a decade now, I, I would have thought that I don't operate like that anymore. But in workplaces, I've had yeah. situations where I realized none of my nonverbal cues were being picked up upon from my mm. colleagues. And I think that's incredibly difficult, uh, exacerbated by the fact that it's COVID. So everything's in not in person anymore. It's either right. only audio or over, you know, some video conferencing platform. And so this Western culture where you as a speaker have to verbalize explicitly what you need versus the Eastern expectation that you as you as a listener have the burden of picking up all of these unspoken <laughs> uh, things that I'm communicating to you, that actually really hit me hard recently as an adult. Uh, which was also an interesting um, aspect of my
1: journey. That is. So I love that you're very good at succinctly articulating that, by the way, I have to (laughs) because that is a very true. Like I felt that to my bones Um, and I'm not even somebody that's been navigating between you know, living in Korea to being here, but I, I can relate in terms of the Korean American identity, which mm-hmm. I've again been unpacking for many, many years of like, how do I operate in this world? And yeah. what have I expected? And what's the best way that I receive information? Well, it's X, Y, Z. Um, and there are parts of me that feel very Korean. I just like, whenever I talk <laughs> to my parents, it becomes really crystal clear of like, Oh, this is why I'm this way. <laughs> and, and then there's other parts of me that, you know, I grew up going to school in America and interacting with all different kinds of backgrounds. Like there is an accommodation and that's just become my natural way in those mm-hmm. settings so it's that's so true and it's it's so great i think personally i just want to commend you for that because i think that's an awareness that's going to serve you and anybody mm-hmm. um just even like understanding how you operate a and then b optimizing it because i i there's parts of me that get salty of like, yeah, read between the (laughs) lines, man. Like, do I got to spell it out? Do you want me to draw pictures? Like, what do you want want from me? Um, So there is value in that. But it's interesting because when you think about who you're talking to, who your audience is, Depending on who that is, it just may really have never been required of them. I honestly think that between genders of just like how male dominated the world has been in terms of power and thought leadership, et cetera, they haven't been as required to think between the lines or in the in the more I don't know. I liken a lot of the it's not even female gender, but like kind of the feminine energy. Right, right I, right. I talk a lot about that. Um, that it's a little bit more of like a web or a cloud. And then with with masculine, it's a little bit more like tower and structure and mm-hmm. linear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And there's, there's value in both, right? And mm-hmm. when you're not required to look at anything in the opposite way or the other way, you're just not, you're not aware. It just goes over your head because mm-hmm. it's never, you never had to study that. You never had to learn how to interpret it. So I'd say it's great that you've been learning that. And I also think it's great that we're all kind of working together in different settings more that people will learn from you in terms of, Hey, it will also benefit you to like learn my language a little bit mm-hmm. because I don't know, I've seen other situations where you learn how to build a shorthand or just how to read another person. It helps in terms of collaboration. You don't have to, I'm talking about an efficiency standpoint. <laughs> like you don't have to spend all the time in the world painting out every single little thing, right? You kind of learn how to adapt. So I think there's value in both ways, but I think that it's really great that you are so aware of that and, and that you can kind of figure out where to go from here. And I hope that you kind of assert that because as a Korean American female, I will like, I I really relate to feeling like I'm, I'm being expected to dampen myself mm-hmm. or make myself smaller or mm-hmm. adjust my behavior to somebody mm-hmm. else. Oh, that yeah. is a natural inclination. Mm-hmm. And I fully support you taking up space and being like, cool. And, um, this is what I think, mm-hmm. and, you know, cause that's that shrinking. Th- I mean, there's a lot of this stuff that's coming up right now. Right. right. And, um, in these clubhouse rooms, etc. cause it's in there, man, it's deep in the natural, like default mode.
2: Yeah. And I want to add to that. Um, I think what's important is what gets lost in these diversity and inclusion efforts is like the diversity of not only like cultural backgrounds or these like, gender related um, mm-hmm. characteristics, but also like personalities, right? Yeah. So I'm, yeah, a Korean woman who also like you feel like I can't ever burden somebody. It's really hard for me to decline because I feel like it impacts my performance or it negatively displays my performance, et cetera. But then at the same time, I'm also extroverted, kind of like what I mentioned about that incident, me approaching these Korean researchers and opening a door that, I honestly was not there, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna open this door. I just made a door. Yes, like it. You know, I'm an Mm. extrovert, so I benefit from that. But I know there are introverts also that are their characteristics are also traditionally associated with being incompetent, and that's not always that's not always true. So Um, true. like them being silent in meetings doesn't mean that they're not engaged. They just are introverted, and they'd much rather muse, and maybe they communicate through written language better, Um, Mm -hmm. or you know we extroverts tend to be like, okay, I'm going to take this on. And, you know, we start a lot of these grand projects. And then the finishers are the introverts who have to pick up after <laughs> these so <over-ze-> true. yeah, <laughs> over zealous so extroverts. And so like, it's a team. And I, I agree with you that it's it's not that one or the other is better, but it's that understanding that there's going to be people who are going to be leader type figures that are men, leader type figures that are women, and those leaderships could look really different. And then also the personality diversity where it's like some people aren't going to be comfortable um, speaking up in meetings or initiating the first email. And I think we saw a lot of that with COVID where it was like, for the first time, extroverts were out of their element. You know, (laughs) What do I do? Or even as something simple as like, oh, some people don't want to turn on their camera. You know, Mm -hmm. although we are used to seeing each other face to face in meetings for some reason, that intimacy of having to open the camera in my, in the comfort of my home, you know, was mentally more taxing for other people than, you know, compared to some others. And so I think that diversity of personality and acknowledging that and trying to be more um, sensitive and, um, and how to work better as a team um, that's, I think is going to be a huge, maybe I want to say supporting or supplementary effort to, you know, the overall like women in STEM kind of inclusion effort.
1: Absolutely. So well said. I agree. It's, it's been humbling for me personally, because um, having to manage teams in the past and then being part of them, you know, number of different experiences, really always getting kind of good, harsh reminders. I won't say harsh in like a terrible way. Good Mm -hmm. reminders that there's so many assets to people who do not care to get the limelight or mm-hmm. who who are not the first to volunteer their thoughts. And that's something that I think is just part of like maturing so that you can have the have the perspective and like the wisdom to, to see that, um, that a lot of the people that I have relied on over the years in a consistent manner to like, like you said, finish things and follow through (laughs) are not the ones who talk a ton, you know, or the, or the, like, not to get me wrong. There are like, I have extrovert friends who are like, they're salt to the earth, like so dependable and that's dope. And I really rely on those people, but I've also like Just realized time and time again, not to discount certain people just because of maybe a first impression or a tendency to like be different than me, right? That we can bring our various traits because I would have to be a spokesperson for whatever because I feel a little bit more comfortable speaking publicly or whatever it was. And that was great. And that's valuable. And I would play my part, but also like give... Give space to shine on other people in the way that they like, because they don't all want to be like, hey, let's feature you on Instagram. They're like, no, please, God, don't (laughs) ever do that. I don't want that. But just extending a thank you or giving them something personal, like I've had to learn to do that because Mm -hmm. I was going to be doing myself a disservice, the team a disservice to like think, oh, everybody who's like passionate and like, you know, like certain traits that we Mm -hmm. equate to being leaders or, you know, that's changing a lot is like it's a disservice to me the project whatever it was i was like let's stop for a second like who who's really valuable and why um and i love that you brought that up another good reminder <laughs> i really 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 could talk to you about culture all day but i really want to also learn about your work cuz mm-hmm. water sustainability man okay this <laughs> you and i got to have a little chat a couple of weeks ago when we connected i was i've been thinking about it seriously and just Right out the gate, Kara, I just want to say thank you for doing this work because I genuinely, like there's times where I regret giving up my science mm-hmm. life because I wanted to be a doctor and I really wanted to spend my time. There's part of me that loved just the lab, like mm-hmm. pipetting things and mm-hmm. calculating things and making sure that they were exact. And like, there's something really satisfying about that. And there's part oh, of me yeah. that misses that when I'm just, oh, what's this, uh, the story concept? And what's the story? Like, it's all great, but I'm like... No, but what about facts and what about data? <laughs> so, what can you share like because you're saying about making your work accessible to people relatable and that's what mm-hmm. Clubhouse was helping you recognize for a lot of people out there who are curious about it interested but like feel intimidated by it maybe. Mm-hmm. Um how do you go about sharing your work with them? How do you explain what you do and its importance because I imagine that could be a pretty big challenge, right?
2: Yeah, so I could tell you a little bit about what my research is right now, and then the you know the tactics that I've used to communicate. Um, and so I study groundwater depletion in California, and in California we um, have a aquifer system. Or an aquifer is just basically a geologic unit that holds a body of water underneath our feet. So we have this groundwater system in the Central Valley aquifer system, and it grows more than 50% of the nation's produce. So, wow. and it depends on what you're looking at. So if it's like nuts, it's like 90% of nuts in are Cal- the US <laughs> come from California, right? Um, it's responsible for about 20 to $46 billion per year in terms of economic profit from this agricultural business, right? So mm-hmm. it's a huge um, uh, financial powerhouse um, and it's also the breadbasket of our country, um, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, But we're depleting groundwater because of this agricultural demand. Um, And what happens is that as you're starting to use this groundwater by pumping, um, the geologic layers start to compact. And that's because these sediment grains are suspended essentially by groundwater. And as you remove that water, it's going to slowly start to drain and the sediment grains rearrange themselves.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Now,
2: if you imagine you're holding wet sand and you squeeze the water out, the volumetric change of that sand isn't going to be great, right? Like you just squeeze the water out. But if it's mud, a lot of the water could come out and the really um, fine grain, these mud layers Mm -hmm. or mud grains like to lay flat as they rearrange. Um, and once you remove that water, it's, you know, literally, I think it's almost near impossible to recharge that water, like put the water back into the grains. And so whatever you lose in terms of that storage volume is pretty much permanent. Um, wow. And that causes a huge problem because, you know, for sands they can bounce back once you once we get rain, and we get this recharge, um, either for rain or snow, but for these fine grain mud layers um, we've lost that storage capacity forever and this also so this causes a problem on two fronts one of them is civil infrastructure you know you're causing this compaction it manifests on the surface as land subsidence we could actually record that with satellite data as well we're seeing this sinking of land on the surface Um, and that's going to cause instability in you know roads canals aqueducts bridges buildings And so we're seeing a lot of those um, civil infrastructure damages. And then second Mm -hmm. of all, just like I mentioned, we're also losing um, storage space for groundwater. So Mm -hmm. you can imagine in places like California, where surface water availability um, is kind of erratic, depending on the climate cycle, Um, and surface water would be like rivers and lakes, groundwater becomes a huge savings account. So if we run out of our Quote unquote checking account like rivers or lakes or anything like that. Then we start to tap into groundwater. Um, and we are basically then by causing this compaction, also cutting off how much money we could have in our savings account, right? We're yeah. decreasing that limit. And so at, um, JPL, what we're doing is uh, we're trying to link the two processes together of groundwater depletion and land subsidence. Because you can imagine, depending on the geologic characteristic of a particular region, that relationship is going to be really variable in space and in time. So if a place has a lot of sand, maybe when it rains and recharges, it bounces back a little bit. But if that place has, you know, some mud layers interbedded with the sands, then it's going to have a different pattern. So we're mm-hmm. trying to understand that in space and time. For groundwater depletion, we're using a satellite uh, mission called GRACE, Gravity Recovery and Climate Experiment, um, and also GRACE Follow On, which was the second um, installment of that mission. But basically, there's two satellites circulating Earth together. They've been told that they have to travel together at a distance about 220 kilometers away from each other, and they're sensitive to gravity. And so we know that gravitational pull is related to how much mass there is right mm-hmm. and so these satellites are flying over earth and they fly over a particular point and if that point has you know higher mass resulting in a higher gravitational pull the first satellite is going to accelerate and it's the same accelerometer that's in your phone that records mm-hmm. basically how fast you're going on like you know when you're driving on you know using a map function Gotcha. And so it accelerates. The second one's like, oh no, I have to catch up because I have to be tw- 220 kilometers away. So it'll also accelerate. And um, so they do this like acceleration, deceleration, push and pull, which is sometimes referred to as the Tom and Jerry tango. <laughs> and then <laughs> nice. they're doing that. And then we, so we measure that acceleration. We have a GPS unit within the satellites. So we know where they were and we can convert that back to gravitational pull, which we then understand as a mass change. Um, We then also know that mountains don't build, right, in 30 days. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, if they were flying over a particular um, position and we have a mass change, oftentimes that's related to the change of water, mass change of water at that location. Um, And so that's essentially how we measure groundwater. Um, And this is really phenomenal because before GRACE, it was you know, impossible to measure groundwater globally at this scale. Um, groundwater is you know invisible to our eye, and it was it's very labor intensive to drill wells and understand them in this cohesive picture. But Grace has really solved that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in land subsidence, we have these radar-based mi- missions that could. <laughs> it's, it's phenomenal. We could detect elevation change to millimeters um, on the land surface, and so I take the two data sets together. I know this is a lot of information, but I basically <laughs> take the two data sets together, tie it in a computer-based numerical model to better understand this groundwater depletion and subsidence so that we could better manage our water resources.
1: Awesome. So we're. I'm, I'm seriously just like, as you're talking through this, I'm envisioning, this is the way my brain works. I'm mm-hmm. like envisioning all of these measurements happening, the technology that we have available to us so that you can take these rapid data points that you're getting like, and to calculate some sort of, uh, or like a status, I guess a status report, right? Of like what's happening at that particular moment in time. So that, and so ultimately does this, do these like reports of this data obviously goes to, who does it go to? Like Mm -hmm. what is it impacting in terms of action Based on this information,
2: that's a great question. And I think we could like kind of tie it back to kind of the communication methods uh, for my science. Mm -hmm. I think in the recent years, um, the scientific community have really emphasized um, communication outside of just the research uh, field or Mm -hmm. just academia in general. And so there's a heavy emphasis on the social relevance of these research projects going on, you know, and especially for NASA or NSF, National Science Foundation, a lot of those uh, funding um, money comes from taxpayer dollars, right? So like, mm-hmm. why why do we care as a society about these things? And I think it's easier for me because we, you know, I work on water and water is an essential part of any human civilization and life. And so... It's easier to, you know, win people's hearts, I guess, in terms of uh-huh. why water is important. Yeah. Um, but I have also had challenges communicating certain parts of my science to people because they were from different backgrounds. So we could get into the tactics later. But in terms of the action items, um, so the project that I'm working on um, is collaborating um, or it's part of a collaborative effort with California Department of Water Resources and also U.S. Geological Survey. Mm. So in 2014, um, California passed this act called the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. So it's SGMA and we read it as Sigma. And Sigma essentially, um, is pushing towards groundwater sustainability and requiring, um, water districts to basically avoid unnecessary groundwater overdraft and also try to avoid, uh, land subsidence. And so our data that we process here at JPL becomes incredibly valuable because it allows these governing bodies and other, um, you know, research institutions to understand, just like you said, the status of what's been going on.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and
2: so, you know, for example, you know, we could say California Central Valley is divided into these groundwater sustainability agencies. Um, and so a particular agency might be interested in like, what are their rates of groundwater depletion? And what's the pattern of subsidence that's related to this groundwater depletion? And, you know, these um, reports or these numbers that we calculate could be incredibly useful in giving them a baseline so that they can move towards a better management of their water.
1: Gotcha. But just to kind of zoom out, right? Because in general, there's so many things that are competing for our attention, right? And whether that's, you know, anti-Asian violence, which is deeply personal and like you feel it in your emotions and your heart and like protectiveness of family and your friends and self versus something that's like about groundwater, which is incredibly vital, right? We could build a very, (laughs) I think a very strong case to, based on evidence, like say how this is very impactful for your immediate and very near future. And like, you know, the rest of your children and grandchildren Mm -hmm. for there to be sustainability, for there to be good practices and policies and protection of that, of that water source. So that like on so many levels, it's impacting the quality of our life. Right. But sometimes people don't really feel that. Mm -hmm. So I just, I, I want to just reiterate, like, I really just respect and appreciate the work that you do. And I, I'm curious, like how to continue to build more opportunities for that for that narrative to be shared because right now what i'm learning and i have been learning especially in covid right this very fascinating situation we have all this tremendous data right in my opinion science and facts to help guide our our behavior like to tell us what to do so that we can kind of create a better life for ourselves not for others per se others and us right like we have good groundwater and we are creating a good um practice and like uh, and creating sustainability, it benefits us directly. Mm-hmm. But that gets lost sometimes, right? And there's there's kinds of like these stories and narratives where I'm fascinated as a storyteller. Like what do people say in order to argue against the importance of this, right? Mm -hmm. And it makes sense because people will will argue for whatever they're championing, right? They'll say like, okay, well, like human rights and these things are more important than water, right? And there's always kind of with budgets and with airtime and um, with people like listening even to what you have to say, there's going to be competing things. How have you dealt with with convincing people like it's I love that you, you I'm sure you spend a, such amount a good amount of time doing the research getting all these data getting the reports together, but at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is, is make an impact so that we can, so that we can preserve, mm-hmm. you know, this most vital resource that we need. Mm-hmm. Um in a way that's like not entering a danger zone and i'm curious like are we in that danger zone cuz growing <laughs> up in california i feel like we've just had drought after drought and that's what i think of the larger landscape of climate change
2: mm-hmm.
1: what that has done in terms of long-term effects like we've been told like you know we are out we're tapped out we've mm-hmm. gone into all our aquifers and they were doing that because of the almond uh, industry that's <laughs> what i was learning on NPR that you know they were tapping into aquifers that they shouldn't have because they wanted to sustain the almond trees, which in my opinion was very, very capitalistic, very much putting wealth and economy above the long-term well-being of, of of everybody, all Californians. And like, you're just putting profit over everything and jacking up the price of almonds, which was like offensive to me because I like <laughs> almonds. And I was like, dang, dude, $14 a bag? Are you out of your mind? Right. So there's like all these multiple outcomes, but how do you translate or how do you communicate significance when people prioritize so many other things and there's all these competing factors of like what we're going to say is important to focus on
2: yeah um well i just want to first off start by saying you keep saying oh you know what you're doing is great but i really think these science tangential careers and science tangential opportunities are so critical and vital to science you know Mm. and so that's why we started instead of saying stem we start saying steam by adding art Mm. uh, right and so like you're getting my story out there by inviting me to the podcast there are you know producers who want to make documentaries and there are people that are trying to you know quote-unquote make it cool like we talked about you know it's like (laughs) inserting it into the culture that people can assess it if they wanted to it's no longer that ivory tower right and we're trying to demolish that Um, barrier of knowledge in creative ways that make it accessible to anybody. Um, And I think in that, there's this incredible um, diversity that we face, right? Just like you said, people have, they champion for different things. They have different life priorities that they're operating in. And so as a scientist, I think part of my job is to understand, well, what's their storyline? What are they operating under? And how can I, well, where where do I fit in their storyline? you know, And where Mm -hmm. does my work fit? Because, you know, I mean, this is what I'm doing for my career now. It's what pays my bills at this, at this time. And so for me, this is like something that, and I think all science, scientists will be biased that what their research is, you know, is going to be the most critical and you want to be that way, right? Because you want to be passionate about the work that you're doing. And I think sometimes that produces better results Mm -hmm. um, when you're very, when you're acting on this personal conviction. Um, and or more like a personal motivation.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: I know that it's not going to be the case for certain people. Um, if I go talk to somebody who is maybe a mom of three, like she, her biggest thing on the plate is like making sure her kids are fed and rested, right? And maybe she doesn't have time or the financial resources to care about this. Right. Or maybe I'm talking to someone um, who has a summer home and who could afford that kind of um, luxury. And I'm telling them, oh, with sea level rise, you're your house will be underwater by 2050. They're like, well, I'll be gone by 2050, (laughs) you know, and they're out of here. (laughs) Yeah. So their biggest priority might be like being healthy enough to enjoy their summer home when when they can, you know? And so, um, and I've gave, I've given very, um, you know, cross-sectional examples, but they're also coming from years and years of what they've gone through. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, in our previous call, we kind of touched on that, you know, different religious systems or different philo- philosophical systems have a different storyline that is really hidden and it's hard to identify. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I seem to be a better communicator in science. Um, I've tried to identify um, what they're operating on. And I think we're very quick to say like, Oh, why are they like that? But we never actually stop and say like, why are they like that you know good yes (laughs) that intonation see asking the question and then then, (laughs) you know understanding that that also takes a lot of mental effort and emotional bandwidth so if you have the you know if you have the room to kind of sit there and try to understand it's also like okay do I care about convincing or quote-unquote convincing or communicating to this person or do I want to go to a outlet that actually has a, you know, different result or a different group of demographic, like, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that diversity is really important. Like me as a Korean woman could probably speak to certain groups of people better than other groups of people, right? Right. Um, So yeah, I think it comes down to that, like trying to understand their storyline, where they're coming from. And if it doesn't fit, also not being offended, like, oh, you know what, this is not something that they're going to care about. And that's okay, because that also means, Uh, the full coming full circle here, like to the whole beauty thing, right? If you're, you know, what you're offering isn't fitting in this particular spot, then maybe it's meant for somebody else. Um, You'll probably find a group of people that will listen to you and will
1: prioritize you or your research. Right. So, so true. What I take away from what you're saying, I think is so, so key. And it, and it touches on like making these bridges. I think making these connections over these things that can seem really, really foreign and disparate, but like they actually, there's a way to bridge them. You know, like I think that bridge is empathy and thinking outside of yourself. And I also think empathy is a really good practice of creativity and Mm -hmm. imagination, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're limited to just what's right in front of you. Sure. But also and also like you can think well what if this
0: mm-hmm. and
1: what about that and that could serve you really really well so i'm also i'm learning because i'm such a deeply emotional person i've learned a lot about how to make a case in a practical sense because mm-hmm. for me i'm driven a lot by passion and feeling and what i think is you know right for my soul and what feels good to my heart so i can sleep well at night mm-hmm. But I think there's so many people I've met that really operate in like, well, what's in it for me and that what's in it for me can be either like what you're saying, survival things of like, what do I need in order to survive today? Because mm-hmm. I'm working three jobs and I don't have enough to care about climate change or XYZ. That's really important to know. And also like what's in it for me are other people like business owners, right? Um corporate America, you know, as much as I've villainized them, I'm seeing a shift because of generational shifts and our personal uh, motivations. Like I I would love to be financially successful and stable. uh, But that's not the entirety of my life. Personally, I've watched people suffer a lot by making money and profit the only thing that matters to them. So I think that's even happening in the corporate world of like what matters to them is not just having tons of money, being profitable, but doing good in the world. Right. And I could build a business case or like why you should care about this, (laughs) um, by saying it's good business to care about the future, because that's what we currently, us, a lot of young people care about. We don't want to suffer through horrendous droughts and summer and, you know, like inclement weather, right? Like Mm -hmm. just dealing with a tornado in Los Angeles. Like that's no, we're not about that. You know, we want to be able to live peacefully and safely. And so I think that it's creative to get empathetic with others and to really think about your audience, which I don't think people have cared to do that much in the past as much. And now I think there's more at stake. Personally, I think there's Mm -hmm. clear indication of like what's at stake if you don't think of just outside yourself and how you operate, mm-hmm. there needs to be more empathy for both moral, ethical, and like <laughs> practical reasons. So, I just I'm very grateful that you share that perspective because I think that it is really mentally taxing. Like it's very it's a lot of effort. Yeah, right? like you're yeah, saying,
2: we can be. Um, but EQ, you know, is one of the things that we're recognizing as a society that it is vital and critical. I mean, we've even coined it EQ, meaning it's it's a part of human intelligence, right? Yeah. So, and I think part of Clubhouse, um, I think people who have a higher EQ tend to do really well on Clubhouse Mm -hmm. because they could pick up even just through voice intonations, the silences, you know, what's going on. They can read the room very quick. Um, even on this audio only platform. So I think it's really interesting.
1: Dang, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I'm freaking, well, we, let's have a follow-up conversation, yeah, even private. Sure. <laughs> I would love to hear more about your thoughts on Clubhouse. Um, I've been fascinated. Um, and and just to, like, give people something as a takeaway from this fascinating conversation. This hour has flown by, Kyra, because yeah, I really enjoy <laughs> talking to you. This is really wonderful. Um, what, are, what are things that us regular civilians can do right now to make any kind of difference, like to help support your work and kind of this greater issue that sometimes get swept under the rug a little bit because we're dealing with a lot of immediate dire things. Right. What can we also do in a in a manageable way, I guess, um, hmm. that won't kill us, but we can really make an impact?
2: Yeah. What a great word. Manageable way, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm usually very cautious um of you know slogans or efforts where it's like if you don't do this you're a bad person, right? And yeah. we see that a lot related to some of these um climate or earth science um issues and I think that could really be taxing like you said. Like it could be unmanageable <laughs> when you're dealing with so many other things. And so honestly the general posture of curiosity towards science, mm. um, you know, like you, you just you know you sent me an email, we connected and you were willing to listen, like that willingness to listen, I think is amazing. And unfortunately, going back to some of the stereotypes that, you know, um, people in STEM have may, sometimes we're socially awkward. <laughs> and so we're going to need that extra push of like, hey, can we interview you or like, hey, can you talk about your research? And once you get them going, they're going to be so excited to share, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, I think because of how some of these scientific conferences are uh, structured, like the general public can't really attend them because it's expensive or they don't know Mm -hmm. about them.
0: Um, Mm -hmm. And it's very
2: highly technical. But the more I think there is a demand for the general public to be like, hey, so what are you doing? And why is it important? That curiosity can really open up conversations and get the scientists excited. Um, And so I certainly do think there are You know, scientists that are very extroverted, like I am, uh, who love to talk to people. But there are also people that uh, need a little bit of an extra push. So, being curious, um, looking up, you know, and I think scientific community has also done a great job of pushing for more um, communication methods. So, we're starting to do graphical abstracts, meaning, you know, when you open a scientific publication. Now you're going to maybe have like this picture, like a schematic, schematic diagram that shows you what the research is. Mm-hmm. We've also started to incorporate plain language summary. Um, so abstracts are basically free to access material for any uh, published publication. And so, mm-hmm. you know, journals, you have to pay a subscription or you, you have this like pay barrier to get the full article and the full data. But the abstracts are always released with the title and information uh, for the author's And then on top of that, now, a lot of these journals are requiring plain language summary, meaning, you know, can you explain your work in a, you know, non-jargon heavy, less technical language for the general public? And so I think these efforts are really great. And so if everyone could stay more curious, and I'm not going to say what field of science or what field of research, because, you know, again, people are going to have different um, research, I guess, interests. Um, and so mm-hmm. just keep exploring that, just keep um pushing us scientists to talk to you more. And <laughs> I think
1: <laughs> we'll slowly get there. Invitation. I love it. I love it. And I also want to like stay encouraging to you and to your colleagues because I think in general, one thing that can be again, the word intimidating, I think, is a really key thing that I personally even felt, even for someone who is curious and mm-hmm. interested. Just like I feel sometimes this is in general because I have a lot of brilliant friends when they speak only in their in their language. And Mm -hmm. I imagine I annoy the crap out of people when I speak all like Hollywood about whatever. (laughs) It just it excludes people. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think by default, when they don't know what the heck you're talking about, it can sound very exclusive and like inadvertently making people feel dumb. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's uh, making things accessible and kind of inviting people into the conversation is so key. And you've really done that work. And I love that you're putting yourself out there on clubhouse talking with me. Um, I think that that effort or that motion, that welcoming motion and that vibe is so it's like, as soon as you open the door, I feel like people will come in. And then if you kind of talk to them the way that they can communicate and understand Dude, there's nothing better than like feeling like you learned something awesome new like that's making a true impact. I'm saying this is like how I like feel happy sometimes. <laughs> when I learn new info and I was like, I did not know that. And then when I had that info I don't know, suddenly I feel empowered, like, oh, I know something that actually matters. And you know, that was so crazy. And now it's something that I understand. Like, I don't know, that makes me feel like on top of a mountain somewhere. Um, So I just appreciate your openness. And I think that curiosity thing is so is so key. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> um, putting that call to action for us. And hopefully, we can all manage to do that and stay curious and look things up and be open. Um, where can people follow your work and where can people find out more about your, what you're doing? Yeah.
2: So, the best uh, way would be my website. It's just kyrakim.com, K Y R A K I M.com. And then on Instagram, uh, where I post just the spectrum of things that I wear to do science. Um, the, the handle is what she wore to science. Um, and so, so that's, clever. yeah. And that's where I post, um, you know, little accessories or scientific, um, you know, outfits that I had to wear or just daily outfits that I like to wear on a, you know, here and there, which is a re- reflection of my, um, multifaceted personhood. So yeah, those two, um, channels are probably the best
1: amazing and again super it's very aesthetically pleasing i have to say you
0: can see that <gasps> oh there's the no
2: artist really? in you yes <laughs> that's such a high compliment because i never thought i could do this instagram stuff cuz i'm i'm i i am i do not think i'm like a great photographer or you know that influencer aesthetic is so hard to achieve right it um, is and so <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so i object when you say like i'm not like i think yeah you can tell there's an artist in you and i think there's a lot of art in science and i think it's beautiful. Oh, so thank
2: you very much.
1: You're so welcome. Um, thank you again for being on first of all. I'm really glad we connected. I'm, I'm we'll definitely stay in touch. I definitely want to learn more about your work. Um, any last words? I know that we've like closed this out like eight times. Like, any <laughs> last words of encouragement, anything else um, besides telling people to stay curious?
2: Yep. Uh, stay curious, but in manageable ways. I think <laughs> <laughs> take care of yourself and don't feel too down when people don't share the same priority, right? So Mm. there's a niche for you somewhere is I think my takeaway. So true. Thank you. Thank
1: you, Kyra. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for tuning in for this week's episode of First of All with Kyra Kim. Kyra, thank you so much for being an incredible guest, and I'm so excited for all the work that you are doing and that you're going to do, and we will all be following along um, because I'm sure everybody was that much more invested in all the incredible stuff you're doing. If you guys were not heavily invested after this conversation, then I don't know what to tell you because it's very inspiring. But you guys can follow Kyra's work at uh, her Twitter and her Instagram, What She Wore to Science. And you can also follow her on Clubhouse, Kyra Kim CH. And keep up to date with all the great stuff she's going to be doing. So I want to say thank you to all of you listeners for being such an incredible support system and for being so wonderful and loving I would love to hear from you guys if you want to reach out feel free to email me at pod at gmail.com you can follow me on Instagram at firstofallpod at manjeezy and yeah I would love to hear feedback from you questions uh, shout outs can tag me appreciate all of it it's really great to hear from all of you guys and to know any and all impact that this is making I really appreciate it and thank you to Mark my, my audio engineer and producer. Oh, okay. Thank you to Can't Juliana Deere. Julian, you're the best. I appreciate you so much. And this week, I'd like to do a special Patreon shout-out because I have an incredible group of patrons that help me keep this microphone on. But this week, I want to do a special shout-out to my patron, Long Bo. Long, you have become such an incredible friend, and I respect you so much for the work that you're doing as a writer, what you do in health and fitness, the care that you give to your clients, to your friends, to the Asian-American community, what you do with authors, in a literary world, world excuse me I can't talk anymore but um, it's truly inspiring and I just appreciate you so much thank you for supporting first of all thank you for supporting me and I will see you on the next Google Hangout so I appreciate you thank you long if you'd like to find out any more information about First of All you can go to allpod.com you can find me on all the podcast platforms Spotify Google Play Apple Podcasts Stitcher I'm all over there. Please yeah. leave a five-star review um, if you enjoy this podcast. I would really appreciate that. And I'm also a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, and that's a collective of Asian-American podcasters and storytellers, so please feel free to go check out some of the awesome shows that are featured there. Uh, you will not be disappointed. You'll learn lots and laugh lots, so go check it out. That brings us to our outro music. This week, we are featuring Ruby Ivarra, who is an incredible Filipina <laughs> from the bay area i love her to death and her song you can't judge a book by its cover is fire please enjoy it get fired up and go handle your day week month year uh i'm sending you lots of love take care of yourselves we will talk to you soon bye
0: i'm here Come and get your of stuff. Think we outsiders? The fire's inside of us. We ain't stopping. No one's going to hold me back. Put me on a track and no teller where I'm headed at. I break one, I break two, I break three strings. I take some from my lungs to breathe my dreams. ripple when I'm in a, Feeling like I'm in when moments get realer. Still, I'm never giving in. Can't touch a fish by looking in the pond. Can't touch right by looking at the wrong. You can't touch one by looking at the other. You can't touch a book by looking at the cover. Oh, hey, can't you see? Oh, well, you you me look like a farmer, but I'm a lover. You can't touch a book by looking at the cover. Oh hey, can't you see? Oh well, you misjudge me a look like a farmer, but I'm a lover. You can't touch a book by looking at the cover. You can't touch a book by looking at the cover. You can't touch a book by looking at the cover. You look like a farmer, but I'm a lover. You can't touch a book by looking at the cover. Oh, hey, can't you see? Oh, well, you misjudge me. You look like a farmer, but I'm a lover. You can't touch a book by looking at the cover. You can't touch a book by looking at the cover. You can't touch a book by looking at the cover.